So what I want to what I want to spend some time on. We're going to look at this this uh, this morning. We, we're walking through our Advent series, and we're continuing that because Advent means anticipation. It means the the anticipation of the arrival of something, and and it's not just the anticipation of the arrival of Christmas um, and, and the first coming of Jesus, His birth, but we build that anticipation for the second coming, for the arrival of Jesus when he had promised to return. And so our Advent series is actually continuing into this week and into next week as we talk about the coming hope this week, the coming hope of Jesus. And what is the last day? How does that inform this day? And then next week we're going to have a really practical sermon. We're going to look at the present hope. And we're going to talk about, okay, how do we live in light of that today? How does, how does the hope of Jesus inform how I live right now today? But, but right now today, we're going to step back. And so a day or two days after Christmas, we're going to look, look ahead at the final day, at the coming hope in Jesus and what that means for us today. And so um, uh, if you will go ahead and turn with me, if you have a Bible, uh, turn, <coughs> um, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And um, if you don't have a Bible, well, actually I have it here on the screen. Oh, good, we do have you guys out there. Ready? If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and hold your hand up. Keep it up. And I'm going to apologize in advance. I have a little bit of a cough. It comes in and out. I thought it, I had it for like four weeks, but um, yeah, so that's when I come in and out. So, yeah, go ahead and turn with me. We're going to kind of get bathed in Scripture this morning. Um, we usually walk through books of the Bible. We're kind of hunkered down in one passage, and we are going to launch out of one place, but we're going to kind of just take a little warm shower under the good news of. God's word together as we look at a number of different passages. We're going to launch out of Colossians 1. And as we get there, let me go ahead and just um, spend some time to overseer time. Let me pray, okay? Lord, thank you for this morning. Um, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news of Jesus that informs all of life. Um, Lord, thank you for Advent and the time of anticipation. And even for this, 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 uh, this time we're together that, um, where we can we can talk about um, how the anticipation of Jesus um, didn't just end two days ago. And so, Lord, as we even maybe have some freedom this morning to walk through our own emotions, you know, how are we doing? Are we, are we let down? Are we discouraged? We've heard some bad news this morning. We've heard some different things. Um, Lord, I pray that you will lead us to see how the good news of Jesus and, 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 the, and, the, and the fulfillment and the promise of a final fulfillment of him restoring all that has been broken. Lord, will you show us how that informs our lives today? Lord, we thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just pick up with you right now in Colossians chapter 1. These two verses, and you'll kind of see as we get there where, where we're headed. But again, how does that day, the final day, the coming hope of Jesus' promise, how does that inform our life today? How does that inform the potential melancholy of where we might be, or might be today, might be tomorrow, might be next Sunday, or two weeks, when all the credit card bills come back? Um, we'll, we'll see how Jesus' promise of his rule, his present rule, is good news. So in Colossians 1, it says this, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, 
making peace by the blood of the cross. Now, um, the context of that passage, it'll make some sense for us. Why would the law try to there? Because it's talking about a very present good news that Jesus coming, Emmanuel, right? That's God with us. That's we just sing songs about this Christmas time. God coming and being born in a manger. And, and the good news, though, the gospel is that, is that God is present and that his rule is, is, is good news, that his oversight over all of life is radical. It's not just about a baby. It's not just about these things that we kind of kind of dip into, you know, once or twice a year. But, but it, it, was, it was a crazy message of a king coming to establish his rule. And so in that context, the Colossian people were an idolatrous people. And what that means is they literally had like little figures in their houses and they, they would worship idols and they would center their entire lives around different idols. And so in their in their town, in their in that in their um, region, the primary goddess, and they would set, center their lives around Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And then different places in the Greek and Roman world would kind of center their lives around, you know, different gods, God of war and God of power and God of intimacy and, and God of God of wine, and God of pleasure, and God of intelligence, and all these things. And so you would have like a, an actual little figurine in your house that um, you would kind of that would show my my life is really centered around this. And this gives me hope and this gives me meaning. And then and then you would kind of declare it. And we don't know anything about that though, right? None of us have license plates with you know rover on it or none of us have little stickers. We don't know anything about worshiping inanimate objects. And, um, but uh, it's not just that. These these idols are, are simply put it's something that you center your life on. And so yeah I think we joke right I love the day we I do have a sticker on my car and I was actually talking with a couple this this morning about some of the other redemption congregations for years have just taken their opportunity to this juice on this new day, and we're in the the, the ties are changing because now there's a bunch of Tucson congregation, and um, we're we're coming in force. And so, um, but 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 it's not just that. It's like, what do you center your life on? Like honestly, what like just you can be free right now to be real, right? We can say idols. We're we're a sophisticated society. We don't center our lives around other things. But man. Hold on, like, give me a second. Let me check. Whatever it might be, my stock, my stocks, my my scores. Um, you know what? What do I need next? I didn't get something this 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 Christmas, so I'm gonna save up a little bit, and then I'll get it. Then I'll be satisfied. Then my needs will be met, right? But idols of our day are more like consumerism, um, power, security. Not so far from the Greek and Roman gods of you know. Uh, uh, war and triumph and security and, and financial stability and pleasure and comfort and sexual intimacy, whatever it might be. And those are idols. So I want to just stand up here this morning and tell you how all that stuff's bad. No, it's good, right? Even as I said that, there's something good in there. Sexual intimacy and comfort and joy and stability and finances and these things are not in and of themselves bad things, but what an idol is, is when you take it and you make a good thing an ultimate thing. When something is meant to inform your life, all of a sudden it 
control it. And something that you now live your life just circling around and we put it up in our window, maybe not physically, but we put it up and we say, this is what my life is all about. In fact, one uh, theologian um, author, John Calvin, said that human heart is a fabricator of idols. That means that, that means the human heart is, is really good at making things that we center our lives around. And again, we've taken really good things and we make them ultimate things, and that is idolatry. And, and the good news of Jesus, the good news of what this says, is it says that Jesus is coming and he's breaking in, and the fullness of God was pleased to dwell him, uh, to, to dwell in him, and through him he's reconciling all things. And so what that means is Jesus came in a proclamation and said, all the idols that are defining your life, I'm here to put them in the right place. So the good news of Jesus is that his rule is being established over all of us. On an individual level, in your life, in your heart, communally among us, in the world around us, that's broken. And this is kingdom language. <laughs> That when he came into the world, Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 1, it says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. That's the good news. Again, we tend to just think, that's, my sins are forgiven. That means God accepts me, God's, and one day I'll be in heaven forever. That is true. That is good news. But that's not all of it. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. The gospel, the good news, was universal in its scope and in its proclamation. Because Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There's good news. What Jesus is saying is, I'm here to set you free. The good news, the gospel, is not just an intellectual idea. It's not just... You, you're now accepted by an almighty, holy God, which is really good news, but it's even more than that. It's Jesus saying, I'm an emancipator. I, I'm a king. I'm here to set you free from slavery because what you have done individually and communally is you've taken the really good things that I've given you to, to help inform your worship, that God created us to live all of life dependent upon him. God said, let us make man in our image. And so God made us, and he said, everything you do, your work, your pleasure, your play, your relationships, your marriage, everything, glorify me with that. Let it be a reflection, and let it be for your joy and for my glory. And if those two things are not separated, in God's design, those go hand in hand. But we said, nah, no thanks. No thanks, God. I want to center my life around something else. I don't want to be oriented toward you. I want my orientation in all of life to be around whatever it is. Insert idol. And then the good news is Jesus comes and says, no, those good things that I've given for you, for my glory and for your joy and for the good of others, those have enslaved you. The things that we think are, that we're in control of, right? Whatever it is, I'm in control. I've got it figured out. My relationship, my pleasure, pursuits, and whatever. And the good news is, no, 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 be, be, be honest with yourself and open your eyes and say, those things are good, but you may have opened it and the result is slavery. And so when Jesus comes crashing into the scene and proclaims, my kingdom is here, I'm here to set you free from those things. Not to say those are all bad, sex is bad, money is bad, 
power is bad, relationships bad, confidence is bad, all these things are bad, security is bad. No, but to say, those things all need to fall under Bible, where they're free. Amen. There's freedom in Jesus. And so that's what he comes and says. And he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Right? Those are really churchy words that you heard. Here right now, you may hear those and you're like, yeah, okay, repent and believe. Cool, got it. Another preacher saying something that I don't even know what it means. <coughs> repent and believe is simply this. Turn and trust. Reorient and trust. Because of our natural, by nature and by choice, we have all chosen and um, cannot help ourselves to orient ourselves to be enslaved, to be under rule. I don't think God created us to be under rule. Right? I'm the youngest of four. I don't like to be controlled by anyone. Right? Some of you young, any youngest children in here? Right? Yeah, I know we're the babies. We can accept it. We can say it. But we also know that something in us is like, don't tell me what to do. Like, don't, you're not my mom, right? You're not my dad. I'm not going to sit on everyone's lap. I want to sit in my own seat, right? I don't, I can live in the seat. Right? Come on. Let's, we can live in solidarity together. But we're all, um, if we're honest, we're, we're designed, though, to live under rule, to, to be controlled. That's how God created us. He's the creator and we're the creature. And so, though we think that we're in control, we choose to live uh, in submission to other things. And again, the result is slavery. It's enslaving people. And we are constantly looking for something to, 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 to rule our lives, to orient our lives. And so the good news of Jesus is saying, repent and believe. Turn from whatever else you're orienting yourself toward, whatever else is controlling your life. Turn back to me. Turn away from slavery and turn toward freedom. Independent good relationship with your holy God, your creator, who made you in his image. And believe, trust. Put your trust in me. Don't trust these other things. Forsake that. Don't trust security. Don't trust pleasure. Don't trust this. Let those things be the way God intended them to be, but don't let them rule your life. That's the call of the gospel, and that's what Jesus calls. He says, repent and believe. There is good news for the kingdom of God is coming one day down the road. You're all gonna just zap up to heaven. You're gonna be chubby little babies with wings, and the kingdom is gonna be there. Is that what he says? No, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. It's broken in right now. And so there's this this crazy but really good and important news for us to, to understand is that the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is proclaiming, the good news of God is now and then. It is, it's here, it's present, and it's not yet. So uh, one day George Ladd explains like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is not yet, right? There are tears still shed. There are accidents that are still happening. There is tragedy. There are things, if we're honest with ourselves, it's so inhumane to just look away and act like it's all good. But we need to love one another enough to recognize sometimes things aren't the way they're supposed to be. The kingdom of heaven is not here in full. There's brokenness. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here. It is here and it's coming because where Jesus is, 
because through his death on the cross, his victory over sin and the rule of sin, which is simply put, not God. It's brokenness. It's idolatry. It's all this stuff that we've been talking about. Jesus said, the good news is here. That's been put to death through his death. Then, through his resurrection, right? We're talking about Easter today, right? We need to word these things a little more. Christmas, right? We've sung it before. From a manger to a tree. Christmas and Easter go hand in hand. And then, <coughs> Christmas, the manger, to Good Friday, to Easter. That, that, those things, that is the good news of God. And that is because through the resurrection of Jesus, his kingdom is here, now. He, he has conquered death, death and the effects of death. And he said, come and follow me. Put your trust in me. Give your life to me. I will rule over you. And there's a coming hope that is meant to inform your life now, today. So how does that happen? What does that look like? Well, what does it look like for us right now to hear bad news, to hear some, some really sad and tragic things, and to not be like posture days and just kind of stick our heads in the sand and be like, yeah, the kingdom's here, heaven's coming, what, you know, what does it look like for us to live today in light of that day? Well, again, the kingdom is not yet. And so right now, what we're just going to do is we're going to walk through some passages that I hope encourage and inform how you and I live our lives today. Because this is Jesus' promise that he will one day restore all things. It says this in Revelation chapter 21, that Jesus is not just abating the manger, but he is being restoring the king. It says this, the author John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. God with us. Right? Emmanuel. That's what it means. God with us. Again, literally, God co-incarnate. God with meat on. God flesh. So not just this, what is God? You are something. I was just having a conversation with my friends. I said, oh, God's out there. No. God is real. God is present. God designed us to live in intimate relationships. And he will wipe away every fear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The reality of our world right now is things are not the way they're supposed to be. There's death, there's brokenness, there's systemic injustice, there's familial injustice, there's brokenness. There's abuse, there's confusion, there's enslavement in all kinds of ways. But the good news that Jesus proclaims and promises, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. And if there is a coming hope where the world and all its systems, where, where every fear will be wiped away, where every power in the world, God, could you let this happen, will somehow be made. So now as we just kind of kind of close together, what we're going to do is I just want to walk through some passages that show us how. Like, what does that look like? What does it look like? You might be asking, like, what does it look like for that day, for heaven, for the kingdom of God, to actually presently inform my life right now? Let's look at a few passages together. They show us how to really apply this, where we can look at some other people in their context and see what this looks like.
looks like. Romans chapter 8 says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the context of the audience of these people, the Roman church, right, we just walked through Mark, some of you guys have heard some of this, the, the, the audience that, the, that Mark, the author of the gospel, according to Mark, um, his audience was the church in Rome, and similar to here, these Roman Christians. The author says, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing. You know what the sufferings were like in their time? Crucifixion, persecution, crazy emperors decorating their garden with burning followers of Jesus. And yet, in light of the glory that is to come, in light of the hope of Jesus that informs life now, the author says, it's not even worth comparing this to what is to come. And somehow that good news informs any circumstance now and today. In fact, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the same author Paul, but in a different context, he says this, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this life's momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond comparison. Though our outer self is wasting away, and that's good news. Some of you might, I don't care how young you are or old you are, after Christmas, I, I had to eat 5,000 calories on Christmas Day. It was carbolicious. I don't know about you guys, but it has been good, and it's still been good, right? New Year is coming, it's, we're still there. This is just that time of year, just enjoy it, right? You might be feeling, I don't know, I'm, my back hurts. I don't know what price to all I've eaten. Like, it shouldn't be hurting. I haven't done anything, but my back hurts. But we know, like, the outer man is wasting away. That's just a tragedy. Some of us know real physical affliction, cancer, pain, struggle. And yet, somehow, because of the good news of Jesus, we can say, man, this is, um, it's preparing something glorious, beyond even comparing. And, and then again, in 1 Corinthians 15, a similar thing, the author Paul says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? This past year, as a young, small church, we've experienced a lot of death. A lot of people have taken their own life. Ask the hard questions. And then we come back to the good news. 
This tragedy is real and awful and hard. We don't downplay that. We don't diminish it. But the best, the good news of Jesus is that word. But. There's always a but. There's always a however. There's always a that doesn't define the whole story. Whatever you're going through, whatever you have gone through, whatever you will go through, whatever's on the other side of December 31st, whatever's on the other side of December 25th, whatever's on the other side of what we don't know, there is a coming hope that informs our lives today. Because if, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, it is a dramatic and cruel understatement to say death wears your victory, wears your it hurts. It stings. The idols that let us down hurt, leave wounds, and damage us. However, because we know the end of the story, there is sometimes always room, somehow always room for worship. Always, there's always an action. There's always room for whatever I'm going through, though however hard it is, it is not open. It is not the way it's supposed to be, and we can look at it in the face and say, it is bad, it is evil, it is tragic, but it is not ultimate. And that's good news. And so now as we respond, as we prepare to sing in response to Jesus, and it is good news, I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what the tone of our worship song will be. If it will be more melancholy like the one right before, if it will be more celebratory, Perhaps both. Because that's the reality of life, is that we live in the now and the not yet. And the coming hope of the victory of Jesus informs our life now. Again, I need to take an opportunity to use this platform to, 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 to use a little illustration, maybe in favor of some of our UVA fans here that only didn't hear bad things about UVA. But I was I was thinking about this this morning because you know the UVA is played in the first bowl game in New England. Mexico Bowl, um, and we win, we won. Um, spoiler alert, we somehow waiting to watch uh, an obscure bowl game. But we won. <clears throat> but I was remembering just a couple years ago, the same bowl, the New Mexico Bowl, right? The U of A hadn't won a bowl game in, uh, oh, you guys know all the statistics, a really long time. U of A had not won a bowl game in a long time. We hadn't been to a meaningful bowl in forever. Our team was bad. We were all these, all these things. And we are getting thumped by the bat. Some, you know, obscure team. We were just getting crushed. And then in the fourth quarter, we were down by 21 points. And what happened? With one minute left, or just over a minute, we were down by 13 points. The UVA was down by 13 points. So if you're watching that, you're like, every interception, every fumble, our defense was ridiculous. We were getting crushed. It was a, it was a horrible game. And you're just Man, this is awful. But if you know the end of perhaps, even though it was this really meaningless game, perhaps one of the best comebacks in like football history, that informs the way you go back and watch some replays. The fact that you know that with about a minute left, we were down by two scores, by 13 points, you they scored a touchdown crazily, then went on, kicked an onside kick, got the ball, marched down the field, and scored it in, kicked the extra point, scored 14 points in a minute, 
with 19 seconds to spare to win the bowl game. And then that same day, we actually had a way more important win. The UBA basketball team beat Florida, who was ranked number three in the nation. And that's just sports, right? Silly. But guys, we get sports, we get these things. Those things inform the reality of life. I don't know what, how it translates for you, but right, the defense is not doing its job. The, the, the bank account isn't holding up the way we think it's supposed to go. The spouse or the boyfriend or the girlfriend, the job isn't fulfilling the way it's supposed to. Whatever it is, whatever's going on, life is not the way it's supposed to be. And we are reminded of that tragically sometimes, but we know the ending. We know the coming hope of Jesus when all things will be made new, and that informs the way we walk through it right now. So let's pray in response to the good news of our King Jesus, who's come to make all of life restored through His work and His role. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for, um, for good news. Lord, the word gospel has gotten hijacked. The word Emmanuel, God with us, has become kind of normal and mundane. Some of the things that we say here at church, repent and believe, Lord, we, our, our hearts are fickle. We, we, we are um, quick to replace you with things you've created, Lord. Our hearts are idol factories. Lord, we're quick to 